0: Suns out, buns out, Philly! We've reached the light at the end of the tunnel. Pandemic's nearly over, and hoagies with friends are on the menu. You may be planning and dreaming about faraway trips now that you're vaxxed, but wait. How about taking baby steps? Hang out in our very own Philly. Have those re-entry anxiety attacks here where we've got your back, to stay hydrated as you go out of pocket. With all the energy of mamas, you have a free pass to be drawing. Reacquaint yourself with the city of brotherly love with a visit to the classics. Independence Hall, the Liberty Bell, see a draft at the zoo, and after, grab a draft at McNally's, see an Eagles game, run up the rocky steps for no reason other than to celebrate being alive. Or halfway, if you've been on the couch too long like we have, we won't judge. Or Grab that John. No, not that. Behind ya. Yeah, that John. And while we don't have no Times Square, Eiffel Tower, Taj Mahal, we've got what matters. Gritty, and you. Philly's waiting, so sleep with one eye open so you don't miss a thing.
1: Greener Pastures, the podcast that could have been an email. Amy Curl here, flying solo for this episode. Today, I'm interviewing Brett Schollenberger a very witty writer and fellow editor of Greener Pastures. Brett is a comedian from Philadelphia who wrote one of McSweeney's top 20 pieces of 2020. Welcome, Brett. Thank you for joining us on the podcast.
2: It's so great to be here, Amy. Thanks for having me.
1: Now on your bio on McSweeney's, it says that you have performed a shameful amount of improv comedy. Yeah. Um, what is a shameful amount? And uh, tell me more about the secret improv life that you absolutely oh, never mentioned whatsoever.
2: <laughs> um, I think the witticism for McSweeney's was like a shameful amount of improv comedy, AKA more than none. Um, but it really is a lot more than that. I've been doing improv since high school Um have done it through college, after college, uh, Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, New York, uh, all the places. Um, <laughs> that's that's the secret improv life. I don't do it um, at the moment because obviously COVID, no one's, well, people actually are doing Zoom improv, but it seems a little daunting to me. <laughs> so I'm not doing that right now
1: there is um we used to live for the listener's at home we used to live in the same neighborhood in new york uh That's we don't true. anymore cuz you moved but we lived very close to each other and i know in a small park in our neighborhood there mm. has been i've seen like postings online over the summer at least last summer that like every other week they were doing a socially distance improv oh, and i just imagine like 10 comedians in like a 20 foot circle trying to shout improv them. Yeah. across children playing soccer like in the background
2: that honestly wouldn't be the most the most awkward place that I've done in improv show and we did them all the time was in a public library in high school so we were in like <laughs> the meeting room that you were like allowed to kind of talk in but we had to be kind of quiet because it was still a library and then it's like who's going to come to this thing people from our high school that was the answer
1: As a person who spent a lot of time in the library in high school, I definitely would have been one of your audience members. You would have had one person show up.
2: Well, we would have been happy to have you.
1: Um, One of my favorite pieces of yours, which I had the great pleasure of reading before you got it published and then was immensely proud afterwards, was, uh, I'm back in a relationship with 538's election forecast model, but this time I swear he's changed. (laughs) Now, uh, give the audience an update. Are you currently in a relationship with 538's election forecast model? Oh, what is uh, what's the status?
2: Yeah, I mean we're we're off again. Uh, I assume <laughs> that we're gonna be on again, off again, because even though he was technically right this time, and then Nate Silver just wanted to talk about how he was technically right for a long period of time, and I got bored with the podcast come the year before election season i will absolutely be tuning in and hearing who's leading in the polls even though it's gonna be donald trump and joe biden probably but um yeah i just love 538 it's one of the key news sources that i read all the time um especially to like get ideas for pieces because i do a lot of like very timely topical pieces um and they're the best they have such interesting like group chats and things and you get bunch of different people's perspectives and i don't know they're much smarter pundits than i would be so a lot of the time i just steal ideas from them and say what's funny about that
1: um i really enjoy i used to be uh into 538 probably because that's what uh my parents were reading or into so i would also follow it but yeah. i read um wake up to politics which is oh, very I heard great of that. email newsletter um i Hmm. found out about it because there was a big new york times story that said uh here's this newsletter it goes out to like 2,000 people every day it's a really concise and insightful and well done uh newsletter about politics that people get every morning i think it said like willie geist subscribes to it other people who actually also report the news on tv and at the time the person who ran it was like uh fifteen or something. It was oh run God. by up there. Now uh he goes to Georgetown, I believe, uh Gabe Fleischer, but it is a very good, very concise um way to read the news. And I definitely was reading it a lot during the election when there were things going yeah. on and I maybe have not been faithfully reading it every morning, but I'm Thank sure God. I will come back to it eventually.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I do feel truly grateful not to be checking the news constantly the way that i was before the election and in the months afterwards i feel like you probably experienced the same thing yeah
1: yeah definitely there's like a little bit of a um a relief to be uh Horrible. not as a to like a white knuckle you know it's just like yeah. so like the grip before of like i can't look away but even now you can't look because something else is happening every day it's just not the same terrible thing from the same terrible person happening every yeah. day. yeah
2: yeah I, I mean i do feel like it is um an extremely privileged position for me not to be checking the news and i had written a piece like four years ago that was uh like an antidepressant for not checking the news and I feel like I'm back there just because I, I hope <laughs> that nothing crazy is going to happen um, now, even though I know it will, but I feel privileged. I feel my privilege to not check the news, but I'm just, you know, trying to stay sane and healthy at the moment.
1: Well, it's like going from a stand-up show where it's the same person doing like yeah. someone's one hour to like a variety show. Where you're like, oh, it's different now.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's no longer a roast comedian. I don't know, he, Biden, is Biden a comedian? I don't think so.
1: Um, speaking of comedy and people who are comedians, you're a comedian. How yeah. how did you get into comedy? What's your origin story? Like, where did it all begin? Take us back.
2: Some kind of superhero origin story. <laughs> no, Um. there was just an improv club at my high school and it sounded fun. I, I feel like everybody watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? And that's like, the superhero origin story of like our entire generation of comedians. But that's true for me. I watched Whose Line and I met a bunch of friends there. I met a bunch of friends um, in the theater world. And then I don't know, those people just like always clicked for me, no matter where I went, whatever city I went to college I was in, I just knew that those were the people that I was going to get along with. Um, And it was always really fun. It was something where I, you know, it's a really fun hobby to have. And now. I feel like satire lets me do something more meaningful with it, which has always felt like it was missing. Cause otherwise it's just, you know, goofy jokes and things. Um, but that's kind of the origin story. W- what about you?
1: Uh, I always liked comedy, but I am a, I take myself very seriously. So I, yeah. when I, I was a editor of a high school newspaper, I worked at a TV station doing like documentary nonfiction stories so I always thought like oh I'm gonna be a journalist or I'm gonna be a documentarian um yeah and I but I obviously liked the mediums of writing and filming things and entertainment I just always thought it had to be I always thought I was like I'm gonna make a great documentary that's gonna be at Mm -hmm. Sundance and like 12 people will see it but it'll (laughs) be like critically claimed but like and no one will actually like, Is that all it. who
2: goes to Sundance? I always imagined that it was this big party and hundreds of people and all that stuff.
1: It's kind of a big party of, I think, almost the same people every year. I think it's sure. a very similar crowd. And then, like, a couple new people come every year. And then year. they go to
2: Burning Man. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Lots but, of But um, I always liked... I was always such a big comedy fan. I mean, to the point where um, I... I was reminiscing about this recently. I don't know why. I John Oliver used to Mm. do a podcast with andy saltzman called the bugle uh and i listened to it religiously to the point where i wrote a fan letter into the podcast and they read it on the podcast oh my
2: god that's amazing
1: i i think i have the episode like bookmarked i think i even know what like um minute in the podcast it is because i would like scroll forward and just listen (laughs) to it
2: do you Uh, have it memorized right now like if if i asked you what minute you'd be like nine and then
1: I think it's, like, 39 or 40. It's, like, late in the... It's almost at the end, because that's when they'd read, like, oh, here's the emails that we got this week.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, but I I loved comedy. I went to see... I remember, like, uh, my parents would just let me go into Boston to go see, like, I saw Seth Meyers in high school. I definitely saw Bo Burnham. Like, they would just so let cool. me go and see stand-up shows and not really question, like... Hey, it's like a school night, or like what's up? Uh, yeah. So I loved comedy for a long time, but I never sort of had the the guts to like go after it because I just didn't know that that was something I wanted to do or that was something I like should attempt. Uh, and then the pandemic happened, and all sure. of my industry, film and TV, shut down in New York. And I was sort of sitting around. I was like, I should That's do crazy. something. And my husband was like, why don't you just try taking like a comedy class or something? Because you clearly want to do it so badly. Yeah. And and you have no excuse because you're locked in the house. Uh, So I took sketch writing because I was told that that was like the base um, for, that was like the first, kind of the introductory level thing at Second City. Um, Super cool. But then I was going through the course listings and I saw an old piece in the, in the satire one class description which was completion of this class will result in potentially being published in the second city network Mm -hmm. magazine which is not true but i wanted that like immediate gratification i was like oh i need i need to learn if Mm -hmm. i'm good at this now and so then i took satire and i met all of you and uh and we did not
2: get that instant validation (laughs) none of us
1: well, we started our own magazine because we needed it so badly. Yeah, <laughs> we, exactly. We like, gave up on other people. We'll just, we'll put it online and hopefully other people find it funny too. Well, uh, by the
2: way, congratulations on your McSweeney's piece. How how was that? What was that process like? Do you feel like it was different from your other pieces?
1: Thank you. It was in that it was a lot faster. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you do timely work. I really mm-hmm. don't mostly, but this was something that I sort of just wrote sitting at my desk it was like a slow day at work and i sent it to you know our group where we give each other feedback i got notes from a couple people and then like the next morning i was like i don't know i think it's good and i sent it (laughs) and i afterwards was like that's so stupid i could have worked on it for so much longer it was Mm -hmm. not timely it was totally like i had no reason to put a rush on it um i mean i sort of mentioned like over the past you know over the past few months like we've been really stressed out with the pandemic and the election but that's like you know it was not it did not need to be said in like a 24-hour timetable um, yeah
2: i feel like it really worked though because it it kind of contextualized this evergreen idea as, like this is why this matters now and i think you you submitted it like the day after january 6th or something, so like january 7th which it felt so so timely at that moment, it like really, really felt appropriate. And I think it it took it like a month to publish, right?
1: It did. Yeah. I remember I got the acceptance. I usually hear back from them in about five days for non-timely pieces. Does that sound about right too?
2: Yeah. I mean, I pretty much have only been publishing timely. (laughs) So it's like one day I'm very spoiled. Um, But yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds about right. Nadia had a piece, um, my partner who, uh, had a kind of an evergreen piece too and then it it took a while to publish as well but yours still felt so timely even a month later which shows the world that we're living in at the moment
1: thank you but yeah it took five days to get and then it took about three weeks to get published so right it was it ended up being a month um It just came out of gut rage of like, I, everything in life is bad. Mm -hmm. And now my face, uh, which has normally not done me dirty in the past, (laughs) I've been pretty blessed with how my acne's been. My face has just turned on me all of a sudden. And it seems unfair considering the circumstances.
2: And it just, yeah, it just came out of you. I feel like that's, that's sometimes the experience for me is just like, oh, all the ideas are right there. And then sometimes it's pulling teeth for two weeks straight. (laughs)
1: well you had uh i let's get to the the acclaimed piece that you mentioned in that we mentioned in your bio which Mm. is your you're the 17th most read piece of 2020 on mcsweeney's uh amazing it's called i definitely have a female vice president but she lives in canada um i remember you at the time saying that you hadn't seen any pieces on biden's potential vice presidential pick like people were the news was dancing around it but then no one had sort of parlayed that into a mcsweeney's piece so is that kind of the genesis of how you decided to write it
2: yeah i actually think that this did kind of influence my approach for a while because we had just had like some piece rejected i say we because i write almost everything with nadia um we had just had some Timely piece rejected because a bunch of people published something about it at the exact same time, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was in the McSweeney's newsletter. Which, if you subscribe to their Patreon, you get um, the monthly newsletter, and they tell you, you know, what pieces they're interested for, uh, in for the upcoming month. They're called content calls, um, and so I was looking at doing those for a while because I knew they would be pieces that they wanted. Um, but a lot of people tend to do them, and so after getting rejected from like the second or third of those just because, and I think Chris monks had said in the email, like, this is great. We just got too many things about this. We can't possibly <laughs> run them all. Um, I decided, you know, I kind of know what Sweeney's publishes. Um, what are they interested in that there's just nothing being written about? And I think actually Biden was such a refreshing one because, You know, with like Trump, all the low hanging fruit had already been taken, like every single joke that can ever be made about Trump has probably already been made. Mm -hmm. Um, And for Joe Biden, like all the basics had just had never been covered. No one had touched like aviators jokes like they're the easiest things in the world to make because they're just the most easy associations. Um, But I think that made that piece able to come out just so quickly because it was really, really easy to come up with like all the beats
1: and you if I remember correctly you got it you sent it in did you send it in like late at night or very early in the morning
2: oh I think um because it was like we knew Biden was going to announce in like one day like he might announce in a number of hours kind of thing and so for a couple of days we were biting our nails we were writing it as fast as possible I think we turned it in within like a day and a half um and we sent it maybe at the end of a Friday or something and didn't hear from him until like midday Monday. And he, he literally was like, this is tentatively accepted uh, assuming that Biden doesn't announce in like the next couple of minutes, Um, (laughs) which was really cool. It went up like an hour later, which was truly the fastest turnaround that I've ever had. That's amazing.
1: That's so fast.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's amazing that Chris was able to do it and, and he turned around edits on it too in that period of time, mm-hmm. um. And then Biden announced the next day. So if going to he... say,
1: I remember you published it, and you were like so nervous, yeah, because you were like he might announce in like two minutes, and then you know it's not going to get out. And then it went uh-huh. out, and it was it became even more timely because he ended up announcing that right. night or the next morning.
2: I mean, that's absolutely why it was one of the most read pieces of the year, it wasn't like it's amazing. It's just like it was the most timely piece that could have ever come out of us um and like no one else was doing jokes about it um so there was that and we just i mean i remember feeling so lucky that we got it out under the gun because i think i remember we had like 100 to 200 words for a first draft and i i fired it over to our group chat and i think you even commented something like do you think there's more here (laughs) uh and i'm glad there was because i mean you really just have to get like 500 words and it's it's good enough to be a piece
1: yeah i've really learned that too i think initially when you write you think i remember some of reading some of my drafts and satire went back now um and they were like 850 words and i remember at the time being like there's no way i can cut this down i need every word and now i write something and it'll be like 430 words so i'm like good enough that's a piece
2: i can't possibly flesh this out there's nothing else new to say about this (laughs) but i think that's such a skill too because you really don't want the audience getting bored i mean no offense to any piece at all because every piece that i read is amazing but i feel like half the pieces i'm like yeah yeah yang the way like halfway through i'm like yeah I, Mm -hmm. i get this piece i know what the rest of the beats are gonna be
1: yeah and the beats don't need to be as long as you think they need to be like i have a piece that has been uh kind of sitting in the draft folder since I want to say October and I just Mm. went back and revisited it. And I was like, Oh, I did not need nearly half of the stuff in here. Like these, this joke is going on for a long time and it could be really tightened up. Um,
2: It's so cool to see the development that way. I'm really interested too in your process. You talked about having a drafts folder. What do you do as you're kind of developing a piece? Do you have like an inbox of ideas or just like, a set of drafts of things you worked on things you want to go back to
1: so i just started keeping and i meant to do this all along and i finally got around to it i just started keeping um in the notes section of my phone of just mm. mostly titles um oh, or yeah. kind of a vague idea that's like half title half just me spitting the idea out um i right. just started doing that because i've started having a lot of ideas on the fly that i don't necessarily want to write out in the moment. I think my thing is if i have an idea, i usually end up writing at least part of a draft like right, right then and there because i have more thoughts than just the title. So actually my slack job piece, my uh single slack job piece so far was a it was me going through my drafts folder. I was like, i don't have anything right now. Do i have something old that i can right. like vamp up and send out? And it was like 250 words of an idea that was pretty evergreen because it was just about um, canceling my husband for not being able to read my mind, which <sighs> oh, is that a was totally a good piece. Yeah. It's totally a reasonable thing, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, ri- I'd written half of it and then just went to the back of my drafts folder because I got distracted with other ideas, and I was like, "Oh, this is still funny. I should like punch this up." Yeah. Um,
2: I feel like having that backlog of ideas is just so important because you never, you never know when they're going to come back or you know, if you're going to write a sketch about it or stand up or some who knows what's uh, going to come out of that piece. But I just think I um, I really like this course I took this year called Building a Second Brain uh, with mm-hmm. a guy called Tiago Forte, who's wonderful. He, he has uh, a partner in crime uh, who runs a class called Rite of Passage that's more focused uh, on writers that I haven't gotten to take. Um, but he's wonderful, too. And both of their classes are really uh, kind of focused on like building uh, a workflow for creative work. So I mostly use Evernote, um, but I learned a lot, I think, from them just about like capturing every idea uh, and coming back later and figuring out where it fits or whether or not to throw it away or uh, whatever. And I think that's been huge for me this year uh, because otherwise I was just a disorganized mess.
1: What I used to do at the beginning, and I've sort of stopped doing now, is I used to do if I would submit a draft to like for one of our classes and then I'd have to rewrite and submit another draft the next week, I would make a folder and make those two different documents Hmm. because I wanted to keep the nuggets from the first idea. Like I wanted to keep them separate. Now I don't because on Google docs, which I exclusively write on, it's so easy to just go back and see all your previous drafts. But I do get, I know some people who keep kind of, you know what, the discarded jokes or you know kind of the i'm obsessive um, the filter you know the things that get filtered out they yeah they keep them on another documentary they keep it at the bottom of the piece to use later um
2: i have a google drive and i'll just you know start a new project a new piece and just put every version in there and there are you know pieces i've published that are like 20 versions because i just can't find the right words for it um and yeah, I save them. I mean, eventually they, they get archived because who needs to look at it again? But uh, I just like having that safety blanket.
1: And you never know if you want to go back. Like you said, you know, with Biden, there's plenty of jokes. I mean, he's only, you know, yeah. six weeks into his turf. There's plenty of time. I was uh, <laughs> you must have made some jokes in there that were somewhat evergreen about him and about him having a female vice president that you could yeah. maybe go back and unearth if you wanted to just do you know it's women's history month and my female you know for that i'm gonna talk <laughs> about my female vice president you should you know. write that piece oh man i got i got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline let's see the problem is i will come yeah, what are you up with on? a lot of ideas for pieces and then I won't necessarily go and write the draft. I'll be like, that's a great idea. And then I just will never get to it. I
2: mean, you can't, I mean, how do you, how do you kind of choose what to write? How do you weed it out?
1: I certainly like now I am going back into my class, like things that we wrote in satire Mm -hmm. three at second city, because I largely didn't end up sending those out When we were done with class, because what I kind of I kind of got in this bad cycle of taking satire. Well, I took all of them like back to back, um, Mm -hmm. one, two, and three. So what sort of happened is we got through one. I like finished those pieces, and then I got really zoned into just getting those published. So I was writing things in two and three, but I wasn't necessarily looking at them as a oh I'm going to finish this and send it out soon Mm -hmm. because I was still just hyper focused on getting that work out there. And then I would sort of come up with new ideas and i'd want to write those out and get them out right away and so the things that i was writing for class kind of just became like homework rather than publishable things so what i've been trying to do now is go back and revisit those pieces and say hey i wrote all this stuff and i wrote Nothing multiple wasted. drafts of a bunch of them yeah and they're just sitting here not doing anything. um so that's, that's what i'm sort of refreshing the old stuff which is uh, you know sort of a lame excuse to be like i have no ideas but it is it's a lot of work just sitting there in the drafts folder wanting to be you know
2: 100 yeah what
1: I, about feel you? That. What are, I mean
2: i'm oh, sorry working on what am i working on well i i'm like not a lot right now anytime uh that i do sit down because i i do so much topically um it's it's always the starting fresh at the drawing board Uh, It's reading the New York Times, it's 538, whatever Um, other headlines are out there. Um, I try to be aware of just like what's going on uh, in general and then have an idea of what kind of takes people are writing right now um, and not write those (laughs) because uh, like I said before, I want to try. I mean, comedy has to be fresh, right? It has to be something that Mm -hmm. people haven't heard before. And I made that mistake over and over and over again by just saying, like, oh, people like to laugh at this. I might as well write a piece like that. Um, so I'll sit down and usually I'll just come up with, like, what do I really feel about this thing? I think this is an exercise in, in satire. Um, oftentimes, Nadia and I will just kind of talk about an idea and see where that leads. Uh, like the Biden piece, we just kind of talked about, like, it feels like a little scummy that he, like, is... is so publicizing that he's going to have a female vp but he hasn't picked anyone in particular yet and then he was taking a notoriously long time to do it and it started feeling like you know that metaphor of like i definitely have a female vice president but she lives in canada and we had just talked through how like uncomfortable it was making us feel that biden uh you know was treating it this way and just kind of saying what's that like what's that like and that that kind of exercise it's kind of like a five whys kind of a thing uh just like why do you feel that why do you feel that why do you feel that and then usually a flash of insight just comes uh where we say oh yeah okay that's it um i sometimes try to write titles from nothing and i often feel like i have a harder time developing the piece based on that because i haven't necessarily interrogated enough like what I'm feeling about it and that often mm-hmm. becomes that's often the harder part because that has to be like the core nugget of truth to it.
1: So um, you start with the piece and then you come up with the title later.
2: Oh yeah. I mean I start like with the feeling the like what do I want to express and try to come up with titles that work for that. And I mean, sometimes it it works and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. And I try to send out um usually just like exactly what you described, like the first 200 words to the group, um, and they're very nice about everything. So you really have to read between the lines (laughs) and see like which of these pieces is really worth investing in because you're gonna go spend 10, 20 hours trying to develop it. um, And you kind of have to know right away whether or not it has legs, which I think is something you really just kind of get a sense for over time. I'm sure you probably feel that too. You know, like when a piece is like, oh yeah, I could definitely make that work.
1: Yeah, I actually, I do the complete opposite of you, which is I come up with the title first because Mm. I think the whole piece, to me that's um, how I decide what to write is I come Mm -hmm. up with exactly the title and then I know like, okay, this is, you know, this is the aim, this is the message I'm sending, this is, you know, the essence of what it's about. And then I write from that. And even recently I had a piece where I had the title and I love the piece, and it. T- I was going really back and forth myself, of like, okay, the title's really great, but the pieces, it's right. not like quite matching that. And I'd gone through many iterations of the title, and end up going back to exactly the first one I wrote because I was like, I still just like this one the best. I still I just know, think yeah. it works.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, just, that's kind of what
2: I'm describing too, is like having a, a title where you feel like the piece doesn't live up to it, and you're not quite sure why. Um, but I do, I I agree with you. I do. Only really start writing once I have a title. Um, I just think I spend a lot of like non funny time first trying to write out like (laughs) I don't know what's what's the take before figuring out if there is a title that that works for that. You know.
1: And what's your favorite? Do you gravitate towards something specific in titles? I've noticed you you kind of like to write from like the I perspective a lot. You'll be like I'm doing this or I feel this way about it. Um, Is there something? (laughs) Do you like long titles, short titles? Do you like specific adjectives in your titles?
2: I definitely write monologues. You've definitely identified that. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it feels like an easy form. Um, there gets to be a little bit of parody sometimes. If you have, you know, Biden, you can do a Biden voice. If you have the five thirty eight piece, you get to have like the relationship voice. Oh, girls, he's not that bad, you know, um, kind of thing, which I, I like getting to play with. I usually um write long titles because i feel like i need to explain myself a lot which is maybe not so true i'm i'm really a big fan of like the new yorker will do really pithy titles um that like would look great on a book cover but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily um my titles are like 2000 words long <laughs> somehow <laughs> uh they get through but they're not good for social media so uh i've made that mistake a couple of times I feel like it's just trying to express the idea in the fewest possible words so that people know what the piece is going to be. Scott Dickers talks about this a lot in the How to Write Funny book and the How to Write Funnier book. Um, just how, like, the audience is going to click something, they need to know what it is because, you know, if they clicked it, they're going to want to read what they clicked. Um, and then you just kind of have to fulfill on that. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's just like a hard exercise in figuring out how to get that across
1: I've started getting I said I was very serious at the beginning and I think this is about to really reinforce that idea I for my McSweeney's piece I got very great I mean I came up with the title immediately but I obsessed over it and I got very granular to the point where I well, I, kind of like you, I read the satire sites a lot, not just to get a feel for what they're covering, but to kind of get into the voice of that publication, like if that's what I'm aiming right. to write for. Um, but I got very, I spent a lot of time at Sweeney's, and what I did was I counted the words, the yeah. number of words in the title, and then I counted the number of words in my title, and I even looked at the, the construction of the title, so it'd be like, mm-hmm. I'm this, like, It was like, it's me. I'm your Google homeroom teacher and I'm like here to save the day. I think that's the one or it'd be like, I'm this and this. And I got very obsessed with like, okay, this is the format that the title needs to look like. And here's how many words I have to do it. And here's the thing I have to set up in the title.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you, you just had Carlos Greaves on, you were saying, um, and so much, I just loved so many of his pieces. I think, um, a lot of the titles just like ended up pulling the structure that he would do. Like, how would Carlos write this? And, uh, you know, his Jurassic park title was just genius. So I kind of like pulled that kind of formula, that kind of like, how would you structure an argument? Um, and, and it just kind of translates and then you kind of figure out, um, how to change the form, I guess, and make it your own.
1: Yeah. And actually, one thing I should credit you, because I think you first brought this idea to me and I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. In the group, you said something about we were airing our grievances about getting more rejections or like, how yeah. do we do this, Brett? How have you been in McSweeney's and how have you done it more than once? in such a short, you know, you've done it four times in, you know, four months or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, and we were, and you said something were great where you said, I just read the site every day because it has a very specific tone, it, which it does, and it covers yeah. specific topics. And so not only to know what they're covering, but what the kind of writing that they're publishing looks like. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's because that was something that was probably brought up to two or three. Like, you need to be reading the sites all the mm-hmm. time. It's, it's easy to just get caught up in the the writing and submitting of it all that you kind of forget to go back. Oh, right? yeah. Like I, I should read more comedy, but that was something I started doing where now I just have it open on my desktop at work and anytime I have a free moment, I will just go. And sometimes I just, you know, read the first couple mm-hmm. lines of a piece or sometimes I'm just scrolling read through the, the home. Yeah, read through yeah. the homepage, read the titles. But that was something I did basically every day for a month before, even before I sat down to write my uh piece. I wasn't... Mm-hmm writing i wasn't thinking about my own piece it's just something i got into the habit of doing but by the time i went and sat down to do my own work i guess i sort of marinated incepted myself yeah, yeah. i had it just in the you know subconsciously i knew what to aim for and what it should look like And
2: so yeah, I, thank it, you for that some comedy muse speaking through uh, through you um but no it's it's i pulled that from you know our our second city class i pulled that chris monks has interviews that i combed over over and over again, not in a creepy way, but just like what, what would he do? What is he like? Um, you know, he talked about this stuff a lot too, about how he wanted to get published, um, and spent a while trying to parse what the site was about. And that was his advice too, is like, you know, understand the tone of the site, what, what they're publishing. Um, and I feel the same way. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a muse that, speaks through you is just the mcsweeney's voice <laughs> at a certain point is like it's so in your subconscious that oh yeah i know how to write that now
1: um one piece that i love of yours that's was very time uh, was timely kind of turned evergreen i think we talked about this because we started we took satire one together in what like may or june of last year
2: i think we took all of them together but yeah some some crazy number of them
1: yeah, but when we started, one, I remember, I think we talked about like how pandemic pieces were were timely and had sort of turned mm-hmm. evergreen because it, yeah. it was going on for a while. Forever. We didn't know how long it was going to go on.
2: It's still going on, <laughs> and now
1: it's still going on. Um, so I remember you writing a talking about this piece and i wonder if you'll write a 2021 version of it uh
0: hmm.
1: it pains me to give a one-star review to the reopened colonial williamsburg oh. but the actors and 95 masks were obviously historically inaccurate uh it's on points in case it's great do you think there's a 2021 especially with texas who just announced this afternoon that they're reopening everything is oh my there a God. they're opening the whole state it's all open now well, is there I'm not up to date <laughs> is there a 2021 Uh, colonial Williamsburg update
2: that's a really interesting question I may have never written you know a follow-up piece I think the only one that I ever thought about um following up on was the 538 one just because like after the election obviously you know just break up with Nate Silver would have been the the piece um I don't know that one's so interesting because it's just a Yelp review of a guy focusing on the wrong aspect of the pandemic. And who, because <laughs> we all know that guy who just, you know, historical significance and uh, accuracy matters more to him than, uh, you know, health and safety. And I think that was more of the, the idea that I wanted to get out there.
1: But I feel like if you're going to write a follow-up piece, you, you're free to take my idea of I'm celebrating my female vice president during this women's history month
2: yes yeah that's a really great idea is this oh god i'm gonna sound like a jerk is this women's history month
1: it just started yesterday marches yes
2: okay that's a great idea
1: i i had a coworker see some like oh it's women's history month that was telling me about all these cool like resistance museums to go to and different things to do and uh this is a very nice person but in my head i was like or just like you know be nice advocate for equal pay. Like it's all these very kind of like, like peripheral, you know, uh,
2: maybe don't go to a museum during the pandemic. Yeah.
1: But also it was like, it's just such a showy thing of like, yeah, look, I went, you know, I went to this feminist art exhibit. It was like, Mm -hmm. did you pay to go to the art exhibit? Did you pay, you know, anyone to do anything? Did you, you know, make a substantial contribution? Um, so it, it would be a perfect kind of analogy of like look I'm doing another like um you know kind of surface level thing that I'm ex- that I reason. a man yeah. would like to be rewarded for. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's what we all want, isn't it? Yeah. That's all what, of us that's... wait, men.
1: <laughs> um what is as we start to unfortunately wrap up here, um what is one kind of tip about satire writing that you would like to leave the audience with
2: um i think the one that you said is really a great one is just read a ton of it it feels so so hard to get started i think um, and it is sad to get rejected over and over and over again and i think you know just knowing that everybody goes through that and that you have to you know just kind of put your reps in and do the reading and. Uh, you will eventually get there. I think everybody gets there. Um, who puts it in? But it feels feels like such a slog. Like it, it took me a year, year and a half to to really start getting anything published. And from what I understand from a lot of us from this group and others, uh, it's just normal. You know, if you want to to do it, it's like any other skill. You just practice it and practice it and uh, read a bunch and yeah. don't get too sad over the the (laughs) intervening time because you're still doing good work i'm sure
1: and actually to piggyback uh, to add a tip of my own is reading the sites will maybe help you get accepted more because like one thing Mm -hmm. i did i recently wrote about um ted cruz's amazing decision to go on vacation while his whole state is um free having a day after tomorrow situation and i came up with the idea and pitched it to the group and they were like that's very bright you should definitely write it Uh, And then immediately someone sent me a link that McSweeney's had published, not as similar, but just also covering the story. And they were like, oh, well, they just published a Ted Cruz thing, but you should still write yours because it's smart. And Mm -hmm. so as I was writing it, I was looking on the other sites to see if anyone else had sent in anything similar. And so I was immediately able to identify like, "Okay, Weekly Humorist already has something about it, but Points and Case doesn't. And the Belladonna's doesn't. And the Belladonna's published it and picked it up right away which is really exciting um but that was something if i'd only sent it to the places i usually send it to it probably wouldn't have landed anywhere because they were already covering it so um
2: right and i'm sure you had to kind of tweak the tone the approach that you were going to use so that it would be a Belvedana's piece as opposed to a mcsweeney's piece so just like being aware of what's in the landscape
1: yeah exactly and right knowing that you know just because right the topic has already been covered doesn't mean at one publication doesn't mean another publication wouldn't want it you know like just because McSweeney's Mm -hmm. has already they get so many submissions they cover so many things you know um just because it didn't land there yeah right
2: (laughs) yeah i mean and that's that's a fair point because it's not like uh you know your piece wouldn't be as good it's just like they can't suddenly become a ted cruz satire site for like (laughs) three days um so I imagine that it has to be like a a balancing act and that's why all the different satire sites exist.
1: Oh, that would be a great site that would drain my soul immediately. But for like a weekend, it would be super fun to just have a Ted Cruz (laughs) satire site.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I had a friend who wrote a piece um, was very, very funny, which was just like, I am Ted Cruz's friend. Uh, And it was a letter from Ted Cruz's, you know clearly imaginary friend uh i really wish it had run on mcsweeney's because it was a very funny piece um but i think actually that was that was like the exact same time that this other ted cruz thing happened so i think the same thing happened to
1: him yeah you know there's there's a lot of us out there writing and you know it's very competitive and it's no reason to feel bad about it doesn't mean you're a bad writer it's just there's a lot of us out there doing the same thing Mm uh but Greener Pastures loves timely pieces, so, you know, don't forget about us. We do. We're big fans. Brett, do you want to pitch your social media to the people?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm at Brett Cassette on Twitter, and that's the whole social media. <laughs> Amy, very- do you want to pitch yours?
1: Uh, I'm at Amy Curl on Twitter. Uh, Curl is C-U-R-R-U-L. Amy is A-M-Y. Uh yeah i'm only on twitter i have not used instagram it i think over a year at this point so don't don't try to follow me on there because it will be fruitless but um yeah well thank you for your time Ray. thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank
2: you for your time this was wonderful thank you for coming up with all the questions and i cannot wait to hear the rest of these episodes they sound very cool
1: oh my god well thank you so much and thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast when you could have been watching wandavision That's it for today. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new interview with another fabulous guest. Until then, be sure to check out Greener Pastures on Medium.